Welcome to another edition of Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. This is Brian in the finally okay state of New York, USA, weather-wise, that is. And with me, as always, is... Lauren from Swansea. Lauren from Swansea. Are you getting sick of me yet? No. (laughs) Because we're doing a lot of recording. We are. I mean, this, this week alone, we have four... But one of the episodes may not be released until like mid-August. Yeah, but we're going to be recording. We recorded a couple days ago. We're recording today. We're recording tomorrow. We're recording the day after that. Uh, We'll stagger the release of these. But So I kind of want to give a little bit of a heads up to people that the days in history are going to be for the days we're recording, not the days we're releasing. So if you're listening to an episode in August and we're talking about July, we're we're not fucking crazy. That's just when the recordings were done. But we are crazy. Don't don't listen to him. We are crazy. Yeah, we're all crazy now, as as Naughty Holder once said. So, how are you, Lauren? How is it? Uh, how's it going in the Swansea with the nephews and the human garbage disposal? <laughs> well, they're still very mad on um, Fortnite. Um, they're very demanding about their V Bucks. Yes, yeah, Sarah. It's really. Sarah's the same way with like really... Animal Crossing. It's it's really sad that you buy them this V-Bucks card and, you know, and within a minute, they've spent £20. And that kind of makes you feel a bit sick. And your nephew put on £20 the other day eating all that food. Nah. <laughs> nah. He, he is literally, he can eat anything and it, he's very lucky. Yeah, well, he's also very He's young. only six. Yeah, so. wait, wait until that metabolism yes. slows down. What does... Sarah do on Animal Crossing. Sarah just obsessively plays Animal Crossing, and I don't understand it because I don't play. And uh, if you put, if you like, tag some celebrities like Elijah Wood, um, he um, and you like tag him, and you send him your friend code, he will turn up on your island. Huh. I'll have to that actually did happen. That actually did happen. I will have to. T- I'm writing that down right now. Um, I just think you wanted to say Elijah would <laughs> get it would. <laughs> no, Brian. Oh, we're all about the dick jokes, aren't we? You are. Who's the one who laughs at him? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to go back and talk about the hung monks or uh, John Hancock? Or the cork? Or the cock? <laughs> Oh, you know, I got a, I got an email the other day saying that uh, they were listening to, and it's not about, it's not, not, not penis humor, uh, but it just reminded me that uh, with caulk, that they said they don't understand the argument about the way I say plague, that Lauren said, you say it wrong, and Brian said plague, and then Lauren said, no, plague. They said it the same way. No, I said plague. 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 Okay. See, I I say it different. It sounds the same to me. (laughs) Did you make up that email? No, I did get (laughs) that. (laughs) Did you just want to shout at me? No, I got that email. They said they they couldn't hear the difference between plague and plague. It's like... Plague. People laugh about the accent of people from Buffalo because there's three words that we say exactly the same way. And it's Mary, as in... The woman's name, Mary, is telling someone to have a Merry Christmas. And if a couple is going to unite in matrimony, we call it getting married. They all sound the same to us. Oh, no, it's Mary, Mary, and Mary. Yeah, it's the same. Mary, Mary, and Mary. You don't think it's the same sounding word three times? Well, Mary as in the name and Merry Christmas, that's the same. But Mary. Yeah, Mary. It's different. It's not different. Mary, Mary, Mary. Quite contrary. Oh, you're giving me a brain tumor. Or Mary, Mary, the song by the, the monkeys. I love the monkeys. Uh, I love the monkeys. Do you know you like the monkeys? I do. Well, who doesn't love the monkeys? I I just can't believe that we're having the conversation and, and you know, the, the, I, I, I just... No, it's Mary, Mary, and Mary. It's Mary, Mary, and Mary. 
Oh, for goodness Do sake. you say cock or cock? Play. <laughs> oh, Lauren, so what else is on your mind lately? Uh, any, uh... Please. What's that? I just, I, I, I'm just really worried about Friday now because you're going to bring up cork. With Neil? Yeah. Before we go on, uh, what did you think of last night's part two in the life of Houdini the Superstar? It's amazing, and I can't wait to do part three. It, that is going to be equally amazing. The spiritualism. Yes. Well. But because we need because we need a second guest, that may take a bit of planning. It may take a bit of planning, but we got a great guest tonight because we got Andrew Firth coming on to discuss his photography and his we new book. Do. And uh, the fact that you... Uh, gave the wrong title of the book on social media. I'm on the podcast. <laughs> and on the, and on the podcast. And would you like to I did that it? twice on the podcast. Yeah. Yes, it's pictures of the abyss. Which is, I've, been, I've gotten a, a sneak peek at some of the pictures, people, and this book is amazing. But uh, we're going to be bringing him on in a few minutes, so I think we better go to our, <clears throat> ready? Day in... History. 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 Mine's better. Yeah, yours is a little more impressive, but uh, I do got a good day in history. I, I didn't go in the nineteen in the in the twentieth century this time. You proud of me? Um, yes, but I don't think yours is as um, impressive as mine. Uh, well, uh, we'll see. Here's mine. <clears throat> Today in history, July twenty second, sixteen eighty six. The city of Albany, New York, is chartered. Albany is the capital of New York State, my beloved state of New York, and our capital, Albany, was chartered in 1686. Ooh, that's impressive. I like that one. Yeah. So, mine um, for the 22nd of July is from 259. You beat me. (laughs) Yeah. Saint Dionysus is elected as Pope, succeeding Sixtus II. I, I kind of like that back in the day that um, they had a Pope, which was essentially the Greek god of wine and merrymaking. Mary. A human, that, that amused me. Uh, but I don't understand how you can have a Pope called Sixtus II. Uh, it sounds like a Marx Brothers sketch. He's a Sixtus II, huh? Yeah. I kind of, I, I kind of wanted to stop myself from saying electric boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> Sixtus the second is, uh, yeah, that's a pope I don't remember. Do you remember when Pope John Paul the second died? A German pope, that was, wasn't it? No, the Polish one, John Paul the second. The German one was Benedict that came after him. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I meant. He came before the German Pope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Paul II when yeah. he when he died and they carried, I remember him when 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 he died and they carried him. his body through the streets. They had his feet crammed in these teeny tiny little slippers, and we, me and my mother, obsessed on how did they get his feet in those teeny little slippers? Well, if they followed the original Cinderella legend, maybe they cut off his toes. Why would you cut off the Pope's toes? I don't know. Were they going to sell him as holy relics? Probably. <laughs> those, those Catholics will buy anything as holy relics. Yeah. I, I That's why see, we had a reformation. I can see they an infomercial. I can see an infomercial now. You can buy the Pope's toe. The little piggy that went to market is still available. We're all out of the little piggy that stayed home. But buy Pope's toes now. Oh. Lauren, would you buy the Pope's toes and Do put it on a necklace? Do you know, I was watching a very good Netflix documentary called The Family, and it kind of made me worried about how how much religion is prevalent in, the, you know, the highest offices of That's a good documentary. government. Yeah. A little scary. It is a good documentary. And also, yes, because the documentaries that, uh, that came out at the beginning of well, that's been out a while, but we've had, been having some of the documentaries that you had earlier in the year that we're just having them now. And and another good one is the um, one about the last days in office for Obama. Yes. Yeah, that was a good documentary. That's a good too. one, too. But uh, you wouldn't buy the Pope's um, toes? Um, no. 
And I, I still like to point out from a couple episodes ago, I still believe Mothra is the greatest feminist monster. If you say so, Brian. Uh, I'm not going to engage in that conversation with you. <laughs> well, what other great feminist icons would be monsters? I mean, the Bride of Frankenstein was literally just created to be a mate. That's not really, you know, girl power. Mothra was all about, I'm going to, like, kick ass. Well, the thing is, is, is the monster's um, intentions were noble. He wanted somebody to love and to someone to be on the same side as him. He wanted a partner. He did. Which does, which does in some way um, sort of hint at equality. That he wanted equality, but she wasn't created for such. Although she did reject him, which showed that she had her own mind. No, no, but the intention, the monster's intention was to have somebody who understood him and he understood them. It was to have a partnership. So, shh. And Lily Munster was uh, was definitely Herman Munster's partner. Did you watch the Munsters in Wales? Yeah, I, um, yes, we did back in the 90s. They used to be shown um, on Channel 4 during the mornings. Wasn't that a wonderful show? Yes, and the Adams Family. Which did you like better, Adams Family or Munsters? Mm, Munsters, I think. The Munsters were much cuter and funnier. Uh, the Adams Family was great too, but... Uh... I love both. When I was in university, I did have a bit of a soft spot, soft spot for Dark Shadows. Oh, who didn't? Dark Shadows is like a coming-of-age yeah. ritual for people who like gothic horror. It's, it's beautiful. It makes no sense, but it's beautiful. Did you like the remake? Um, I thought it was in all in good fun, but it didn't sort of capital. Yeah, it didn't hold up. It didn't hold a candle. But uh, we should really get ready to go to... It's the Magic Interview Box. Because Andrew first is going to come on. And when I fire up the machine, I'm going to let you do the intro for him. Because um, you've been to a lot of these places as well. And you're much more of an authority on it than I am. So let (laughs) me get him on the line. It worked again, Lauren. I got him. Fantastic. Could you uh, tell our audience a little bit about uh, about Andrew before we begin? Well, for his sins, he's a rhetorologist with an interest in bringing us the history of the East End of London through photography. He is one of the organisers of the annual East End Conference, which is fantastic. And if you can, everybody should go. And uh, he's very lovely and organizes the annual photography walk as well, which is really insightful and really amazing. So, without any further ado, Andrew, welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks. Oh, thanks for taking the time. I mean, I've been seeing the advertisements for your new book and have literally been salivating. <laughs> and okay, that's good. I think yeah, <laughs> it's it's good. I mean, I, I salivate a lot anyway. You know, thinking of Duff's wings <laughs> and things. But it is, you know, I'm I'm a lifelong ripperologist and, and a bit of an anglophile. But yeah. your take <clears throat> on the subject matter and the work you do, which is incredible, and people, you got to check out Andrew's work. But yes. this. New project, um, inspired by the, the the great book People of the Abyss, which I don't know if a lot of people in our audience have read. They have to read it. It's amazing. If you want to know what life was like in the East End of London, this is the book to read. And you t- do an interesting take on that book by showing the evolution of the East End which appears to be almost in real time. What, uh, what what was your, obviously, other than the book, your inspiration to do this project? Um, I think, I mean, I'd already done one, one book called Rippleland, which was um, uh, showing the sort of then and now um, views of, of uh, Jack the Ripper's London, um, which is pretty much the same area that uh, Jack London covered in when he, when he went down and out in, in 1902, uh, living as a as a poor person. So when it came to to this, I had an idea of of, of revisiting the sites that Jack London went to, and, and and in fact the sites that Jack London took photographs of, um, because a lot of them are 
aren't captioned with any detail as to where they were taken. Um, you might get a photograph in, in the book that says a house to let or um, where the children grow up. But uh, you won't actually get any specific details. There's one or two that do say where they're taken. Um, uh, Lemon Street is one of them. And um, there's Mile End Road, that's another one. But a lot of the photographs are just to illustrate for, for Jack London's readers um, what the, the poor side of London was like. And so I think it's interesting to try and find out where all these photographs were taken. Uh, and of course, make updated views. And then what I do is I then merge them together in Photoshop. Sometimes it's just putting the old photograph straight straight on top of a new photograph. But sometimes I, I like to, uh, shall, we, shall we say, fog, fog the edges a little bit so you can't quite tell where, where Jack London's 1902 world finishes and Andrew first. 2019-2020 world begins. So that, that's really what, so what it is in a nutshell. Um, it's a series of, uh, of views of London where, with the old and the new combined together. And it's just looking... I've, I've been very lucky enough to see a lot of the photographs uh, before the books come out. Yeah. In seeing, you know over a hundred year span between the pictures that are overlapped. Yes, yeah. That's disturbing at some points to realize some of very little has changed. And others, it's just, you know, it's a whole new world, but when... That's right. Yeah, when, when you were scouting the locations, how long did it take you to really track down where everything was? I mean, you're familiar with the East End, which helps. I yes. wouldn't have been so good at it. Well, it, it was it was kind of a rolling process. I mean, the, the book itself has taken two and a half years to, to research, and then, because I live about 200 miles away from London, I, I, you know, I have to take grab every opportunity I can to, to go to London and take the photos. Um... But I was finding research was was bringing to like new uh, new locations all all the time. So it was like two and a half years ago, with all the answers I didn't have, I started taking photographs of, of the locations that I knew, and then started having to, to take looking through um, the the old post office street directories uh, and ordnance survey maps. I'm basically looking for clues in, in Jack London's photographs. In, in some, there, there are clues that were quite elusive, quite hard to find. Um, but it, 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 as I say, they, they all they all they all sort of came to life over a period of two and a half years. Um, but they weren't all immediately apparent as to where they were taken. So some of them, I only found out where they were around about the, the turn of the year, just through passing uh, through Christmas and going into the new year. Um, I had one last trip to London, fortunately, just before the corona lockdown, um, to take all the remaining uh, uh, views that I needed to take. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on, on London's book, but if you could just give the people a brief overview of what Jack London's book was and the you know the why he wrote it and how he wrote it. Basically, um, if you haven't read the book, I mean, uh, you know, as you say, Brian, it's very well worth reading. Um, it was basically Jack London was what we now call a, an investigative journalist. As well as being a writer of fiction, he, he was an investigative journalist and he was very interested to you know, how the poor lived. And, um, and in, in London, the, the city of London, um, he, he concentrated mainly on the East End because that's where the, the, poor, the poor were living. And, and um, in, in many cases, the, the poor were out on the streets. You know, so he wanted to concentrate on so what he did was he um, basically went to ground. He actually disguised himself as a working class poor person. He had an American accent, so his cover story, he was a, uh, um, an American sailor who had landed in, in London and lost all his money and um, was now down and out in the East End, as it were. So he would he, he was basically um, going out, and, and mingling with, with the poor, he, he went to various workhouses, 
obviously went to um, uh, Salvation Army Hospital on the south bank of, of the Thames, um, and he went to the infamous Whitechapel Spike, which was really was the, the last stop if you had nowhere to sleep. You could go to the Whitechapel Spike and you got the most frugal, awful meal that you could possibly get. And the following day you had to work in a rather sort of uh, basic and and and, uh, and and this awful awful food so it, it was really the last resort it was the worst of the workhouse really um, and he basically wrote about all the all his experiences um but he did actually uh, um, a fairly respectable house somewhere in the east end that he could use as a bolt hole and for those who are interested in the uh, Jack the ripper case um, he actually sought advice from William Thick, who had been involved in the investigation into the Whitechapel murders, uh, to uh, Thick's house um, to ask for his guidance, because of course uh, Sergeant Thick knew the extent and, and knew its bolt holes very well. So that basically, in a nutshell, he basically wrote about the, um, the side of London that, that most visitors to London, even at that time, d- didn't see. They, they the, the landmarks of, of London, the, the wealthy side, um, to see the, um, the the side that, uh, that was prevalent in, in, in Whitechapel and, and Spitalfields and, and beyond right the way through to Beth Green and, and Stratford and, and uh, Poplar. So that's basically what it is. Yeah, and this is only, you know, what, 14 years after the Ripper murders. You know, so it is, yeah. yeah. So when people hear about you know, how horrible the, the East End of London was during the, the, the Autumn of Terror, you know, it hadn't really gotten any better by the time London went there to document this. And Not at all, no. No. And uh, it famously include the book famously includes the well-known photograph of Dorset Street, um, and it's actually captioned Dorset Street, the, the worst street in London. Now, that's one of the few locations in the book that is actually captioned. But um, that actually was an existing photograph that wasn't taken by Jack London. That actually shows the street about 1895, around that time. So only only seven years after the, after the, the death of uh, Mary Kelly. Um, so that that's an excellent rule, but certainly all the other photographs in the book um, were taken the summer of 1902. They really do show that it, by, uh, obviously we were out of the Victorian era by, by a year we we'd then, then moved on. There was still uh, poverty and although there were provision of workhouses and things it was still a very and unhealthy place and obviously infant mortality was high and, uh, um, and, and poverty was high. It was uh, very prevalent. And it's still, um, I mean, certain sections of the East End have been gentrified, and, you know, the Olympics of London really helped the East End of London. Not for historians, it took away a lot of the last historical landmarks, but, um, you know, it's an improved area now, but you actually are able to show, you can still see the ghosts of the past, even in the modern photographs, when you compare them with the originals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's what it is. Uh, if, if my my sort of objective is to, to show history in a pictorial way, because so many history books um, are text only or a text with a, a slim uh, section in the middle, which to, to modern uh, a modern reader they've really got to work to try and picture you know the, the historical scenes being described in a book. Um, but when you have um, a coffee table format book which is all, all pictures and graphics and maps and things um you've got the luxury of, of allowing a modern audience to really understand if, if they want they can go to those locations and and, and get a feel for the places uh, even if they have changed beyond all recognition so i think that's one thing that's nice about doing pictorial books i mean there's plenty of text in it as well but it is primarily a, a, a picture book really and we're going to do this a couple times throughout the show, but uh, I want you to give the information on how to pre-order the book now for people, because your last book, for example, every time it was printed, it sold out right away. So <laughs> your books can be tough to get because they they sell pretty rapidly. So people, you may want to uh, you know order in advance and give the information on how to get it. 
Okay, well, uh, the, the, the pictures of the abyss is can be ordered from uh, mangobooks.co.uk. Um, if you, but that will take you to a page that shows all the books published by Mango, and then you just scroll down to pictures of the abyss, and there's details to how to order it, and uh, just of uh, subtly of uh, what the books are. And because uh, I, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, do you know what a pain in the ass it was for me to get your first book in America? <laughs> I, I can imagine. It's, it, it's difficult because, because it's such an expensive book to print um, that they have to be done in, in small numbers. But it's not something that you can, uh, I mean, the book is available via Amazon, but uh, I believe that uh, the American markets weren't allowed to order it through Amazon for some, for some technical reason. I'm not sure why. So. Yeah, but, I have to give uh, a big shout out to uh, Jonathan Mengis who helped me uh, secure my copy. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, as I say, I'm hoping that the um, that, that won't be a problem with uh, this book. Hopefully we'll be, get plenty of, um, of uh, a good stock printed up first and then we'll be able to satisfy the American market as well. Now, Lauren uh, is also, like you, not a resident of London, but spends an awful lot of time there. And, uh, I know she's itching. I'm, I can almost feel the daggers coming out of her eyes for me talking too much now because she's itching to talk about some of these locations with you. So I'm going to step aside. Lauren, it's all you. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's <laughs> very kind. Um, so what were the hardest parts of London for you to photo- photograph? Which one proved the most challenges for you? Um, I suppose, I mean, the, the, the challenges are, are, are really just um, where it's, it's a residential area now. So say, for example, you might have, um, uh, well, a good example is the Poplar work. Um, that obviously was a uh, sprawling Victorian complex of buildings. And now it's it, it's a selection of residential streets. And so if you're, if you're going to take the same viewpoint as, as the, the Black London's photograph of the popular workhouse, you've got to accept that it's it's somebody's street, it's, the, it's somebody's driveway that you stand on almost, you know, so yeah. that, that, you've got to be discreet. Um, so I suppose that's, that's, that's it really, but I suppose that none of the them have been difficult to photograph. It's really just working out where where they were taken in the first place. That's that's the difficulty, really. That's oh, yeah, that would be. Gosh, you put me on the spot here, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> both you and Lauren uh, are at the East End Conference. Yes, we do, so. and we're both speaking in it. We're both speak. Well, hopefully, depends how COVID goes, and depends what the pub decides. Uh, because they've they've decided to move, um, which is quite reckless of them to have the marathon in October. I think it's freezing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that is that is a problem actually. So I think the two um, of you have to get together at this conference, go to some of the sites since it's going to be October, maybe November. Who knows by then? And if it's nice and wintry looking, you could take Jack the Ripper's Christmas photos. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a myth to, to say that it snows in London. It very rarely does. So, <laughs> um, there is a there is a photography walk where we do uh, walk around some of the sites of the Ripper murder and some of the um, sites that are pretty historic to uh, the East End. Uh, for example, um, last year we went to. Um, the church which houses the mortuary where um, Mary Jane Kelly's autopsy was done, I think, if I remember correctly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. shortage. So um, it it's you know we and uh, again with the East End conference, it's very um, important to remember that we don't just talk about the murders. It's very rarely we, um, we discuss the murderer. It's more about the victims. And, um, you know, their lives and, um, you know, for example, there was one talk trying to show the evidence of placing Mary, Mary Jane Kelly in certain parts of Wales because that, you know, she did say she came from Carmarthenshire, which is a possibility. But so it's all about discussing the lives, which is what Andrew's works all about. It's about social history and bringing that to life because 
it, you know, you can get these massive volumes of books on the East End. And they do tell the story, but they don't bring it to life in the way that Andrew's book does. And I think to understand, you need something like this to complement those books to show you just how desperate these situations were. Otherwise, you get <laughs> you get some books then giving misinformation or not understanding quite, um, well, not quite understanding the, the fact how desperate and how hard their lives were. You know, it's it's difficult to think of a city where in one, you know, not very far away either, you have affluent people living and people living good lives and having enough money to feed their families. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got desperate poverty. Well, that, that's right. I mean, I think that's that's illustrated in, in, in my book. Yeah. You, um, at, at the back of the book is, um, as well as being a, a traditional index, there's also a very wide map of London across two pages. I've actually marked where each of the the photo montages, you know, the locations of them, and you can see that in the west, just the odd little location here and there, maybe there's one in Leicester Square on the Thames Embankment, and then you look to the other page, the facing page, which is the east end, and it's littered with, with red pins, you know, just, yes. um, so it, it, it shows the um, sort of the distribution of, of uh, where Jack London uh, found his uh, his main interest, the, you know, what he was looking into. Um, there are very few locations in the West that he found evidence of, of poverty, and um, it, was, it was all really in the east end. Well, by that time, they'd sort of chased them out of central London because there mm. were times when you were, especially if you read um, Sarah Wise's uh, Italian, the Italian boy, um, where they were sleeping in Leicester Square and where you do get rough sleepers sleeping in central London, which is still true today. But they do yeah. seem to have been moved out of that central location and pushed towards the east. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's very much. It's, it's certainly when you're in central London today, there are still homeless people there. Um, yeah. Whether uh, you know, the, uh, I, I think really they get moved on, which was the case in, in uh, at the turn of the 20th century. That so the police would move on sleepers. There's, there's the famous case of um, the um, uh, Itchy Park being yes. closed at night because they didn't want to encourage people to, to sleep at night. So the homeless had to walk the streets of the East End, and then when it became daylight, when when uh, you, then all of a sudden, um, you would have um, you would have the gates unlocked to Itchy Park, and, and people could go in and sleep during the day. Um, but that's that's just it. They would be moved on if they tried to sleep at night in any sort of doorway or or in any sort of uh, sheltered corner of a building. So yeah, um, Itchy uh, Park. So cool because of uh, the rather unfortunate fleas you could catch from there. I believe that's, that's the reason, yes. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I, I think it's got a, a, a perfectly normal, I don't even know, that actually it's probably called Christchurch Gardens or something like that, but it's, uh, it's <laughs> it, there are about five or six views um, in Jack London's book around what we now call Itchy Park. Um, it was clearly a very easily accessible place to get to uh, for Jack London. Um, and so he's take, he took quite a few views. Some of them catch, capture the famous Ten Bells in the background and some capture the um, uh, Spitalfields Market and what have you. So, uh, but it was quite a public area uh, and this is where, where you could find um, the most unfortunate people uh, sleeping on the depths of the church or in, in uh, Itchy Park. You know, I gotta ask, and I'm not trying to be a, a jerk about it, but uh, what, what, was a lot of your work on this more guerrilla-style photography, where you, you know, went in, snuck in, took the pictures, got out as fast as you could, or were you, you know, seeking permission from the businesses and the residents to uh, to get the work done? Which was your primary approach? Uh, well, the, I, I couldn't really just go in and, and, and take, take, take the photos and get get out of there because. Um, the actual, um, you need to be very accurate with, with, with lining up the shots so that when, when I get back home, the, uh, the actual um, photographs match up, you know, so that they can actually, I can actually stitch them together. Um, but 
as long as you've done some research beforehand, you know roughly where to stand. Um, you know, sort of make a mental note, right, I need to stand on this curb here and face in that direction to get that shot. But I have reference shots just stored on my phone so I can look at them any time um, to, to, to marry up the, the, the correct location. And then I take, take the photographs. But um, it, it's... It, it's to be honest, there's no there's no reason to sort of go in there and take the photos and, and get the hell out of there sort of thing. The areas aren't dangerous. Um, that that is one thing. I mean, now it's it's a mixture of uh, you know rather rather affluent businesses in around Spitalfields Market, um, and then in other places it's um, uh, it's social housing. Um, but it's not uh, there's not nowhere that's particularly dangerous now. So it's it's safe to take photographs. So that's that's one good thing. And in London, everybody's taking photographs anyway, so you don't stand out <laughs> too much. <laughs> you do blend in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of people, plenty of people with, you know, huge um, digital SLR lenses, you know, and they, they just blend in like anywhere else. So it's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's such an American thing to think that you got to sneak in and do this kind of work. You see, you fucking Brits are so nice and so polite to each other. I, I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah, it is so not New York. No, we're, we're definitely not New York, no. <laughs> now, I love to describe your work to people as documentary-style photography. Yes. Yeah. It's remarkable, really. And, and, and I wonder, are there ever moments that when you go to photograph a spot and, you know, it just strikes you that, wow, I'm documenting what this was like a hundred years ago, but it looks the same still. I mean, ever have moments like that, that rattle you? There were, there were a couple of locations that I I, I was really sort of hit home when I saw them for real, because I'd spent so long looking at the old photographs. And even if all the buildings have changed, you, you look at the modern view and you go, that's it. That, that's exactly it. I mean, there's one, uh, there's a picture that, that Jack London uh, captioned uh, a view in Wapping, and that's all he says. He doesn't say where it is in, in Wapping. It's it, which it's obviously somewhere you know, down by the the River Thames. But uh, there's a, a clue in the photograph that um, it shows very distantly the uh, church tower of St George in the East, which is, of course, the, where the mortuary was that Elizabeth Stride was taken to, uh, Ripper Victim number 3. Um, you can see that off in the distance. So I, I basically uh, um, had to, to work out which street it was taken looking down and everything. And when I got to that spot and turned back, all the buildings were different, but you could still see in exactly the, the, the correct place, the, um, the, the the church tower of, uh, of St George in the East. So that was a, a, a lovely revelation because it just it just came alive then. You, you felt like you were seeing an old photograph that had morphed into the modern world. Um, another one is a, a, a very obscure photograph that's just captioned a view in Hoxton. And when I got to that location, again, despite the fact, again, all the buildings having changed, I mean, there's, um, I think there's a stables and a... Oh, I'm not sure. There's, there's, there's a row of rather dilapidated buildings, and they're now a Holiday Inn. Um, but you, you stand in the same place as, as Jack London stood, and, and there it is. The street layout's the same, and the angles are all the same. So it is quite quite interesting to uh, to, to stand on those spots and realise that you're you're recreating something from over a hundred years ago. So yeah. You know, it also makes people realise that th- this is an ancient history. I mean, a hundred years ago sounds like a long time ago, but it's really not. No, no, no. That's 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 very true. I mean, it's uh, in the scheme of things, you know, history, particularly, um, you know, in, in this country, goes back many, many thousands of years. But oh, you just got to get in that joke about us Americans not having history, <laughs> Brian. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. You've got a good three hundred years or so. Well done. <laughs> Um, you got no, me in the, trouble with that one once. Horrible, <laughs> terrible person. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's it, it is it is a relatively short period of time when we're talking about history. But uh, so much has changed. But fortunately, the, the thing that d- doesn't change, particularly in London, 
it, for the most part, is it's the street patterns. So as long as you've got the right location, the, the street layout will fit your old photographs. It'll marry up. So that's one good thing. They, they, they don't tend not to change. Certainly not in the city of London, of course. I mean, the city of London is still laid out to the uh, mm. medieval street pattern. So um, that, that hasn't changed at all, which is why some streets you can't even drive a car down now because they, they were literally the width, of two, uh, the, the width needed for two wagons to pass. So that's... Uh, that's one. Of the, that's why you get so many narrow streets in in the city of London. So, yeah. Now there's a photograph in this book, and and I'm not going to give away any spoilers or anything like that. But uh, like I said, I've been lucky enough to have seen a lot of these pictures, and, and there's one picture in particular. It, it just you know made the hair on my neck stand up when I saw it, and it's uh, the photograph of, and I'm going to do this as an American, uh, wapping. Go ahead, correct me. Wapping. <laughs> I just love upsetting Lauren with my mispronunciations, but uh, yeah, the photograph of Wapping plague. plague, which is the the, the 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 vintage photograph is dead center of the frame with children in the front, and yes. you, you see it merge into the building on the left, and it looks exactly the same. But the building on the right, you see how the whole areas changed and you get that all in this one photograph you get a hundred year time span and progress and how things stay the same it's just absolutely incredible well that 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 photograph uh, that 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 montage um the 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 side on the left basically you you have the the old buildings there in the in the old photograph they will knock down within within three years of the um, of Jack London taking that photograph, and the building that you see on the left in the modern section uh, was built in 1905. There's actually a foundation stone that says 1905 on it, so that just shows how have very little time for those buildings that you see in the old shots. So, um, literally, when I, when I when I got to to the to the modern day view. Or to the, to the location now. All I had was uh, the distant view of, of the um, of the, ch- the church tower, and uh, I had the, the, a very thin gable end of a building that's still there, um, which you can just see towering above the tower if you like. But uh, that's basically it. So yeah. Now, do you have an absolute favorite place that you photographed for this book? Um, I don't honestly know. I mean, I, I certainly think the, the the view of Wapping was one of the was one of the more uh, difficult ones to to work out. Um, I'm just trying to think if there are, if there are any others that uh, just have a look through see what else. Um, do you know what? There's one or two that, that I. I I, I mean, one, one, one in particular um, features um, Sergeant William Thick's house, where Jack London visited him. Um, that that was a very interesting to do because uh, that that photograph was was something that uh, I had to negotiate with the Tamlet's Library to uh, to get the permissions to use because that's not from London's book, um, but somebody just captured ha- um, the house where Sergeant Thick lived. Um, in, in the years following his retirement, and it was where the, it was there that Jack London visited him to get information about about going undercover in the East End. Um, so that's that's certainly uh, one that I'm I'm particularly fond of. I'm 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 looking through these pictures again as we're talking, and I'm just like, it's it's hard for me to talk because they're just so amazing. <laughs> um, you get distracted by them; they're fantastic. Well, yeah, plus, you know, for you, for both of you, I mean, as impressive as it is, you got to remember, I've only been there once. <laughs> I've only been to the East End of London one time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, it, looking through this book, it's like I'm taking it in again, but through a lens that lasts 100 years, and it's just incredible to me. Uh, Wapping, or as I will say, uh, Wapping. Don't please don't say that in London. You will get smacked. <laughs> yeah, but I'm bigger than everybody in London, so it's okay. They have knives. They have knives. They will stab you. You know, Andrew, this is a great story. You'll get a kick out of. I think. Um, 
when when I was in London in 09, I dragged my brother with me to the East End. Yeah. And because uh, I said, I'm going to do this. And he kind of like, I don't want to wander around all day. Let's at least get in one of these groups. So we got okay, on a group yeah. tour. And they started giving us the lowdown beforehand that, you know, everybody stick together, stay together. This is still, you know, it's not like it once was, but it's still the nastiest section of London and you have to be safe. It's not. And which at point I started laughing. And the tour guide looks over and says, what's so funny? And I just said, yeah, well, me and my brother, we, we've spent time in Detroit. <laughs> and then the tour guide actually said, okay, everybody stick with the Americans. But uh, that's my take on it. Uh, nothing scares me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've spent I spent about an hour in Detroit. There we go. Just change, changing Greyhound buses. <laughs> and it was enough, wasn't it? Uh, well, I couldn't see. It was dark outside. It was about six o'clock in the morning, and we were me and my friend were on our way to uh, Niagara Falls. Ah, which so, is right <laughs> near me. Oh. Fifteen minutes from where I live. Oh, cool! Excellent. What'd you think of the falls? Well, we, uh, we, uh, it's better from the Canadian side, isn't it? Because you can, you can see that you can see the falls. Yeah, if you go to the American side, you can only stop see the water going over the top. You can't really see the falls themselves. So. No, you can mm. actually. Um, that was a long time. Yeah, you can actually get closer to the uh, falls on the American side, but you get a much better view on the Canadian side. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, but uh, that's that. That was nineteen ninety seven. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> Have you ever considered coming back to do uh, some photos of the falls? Uh, not not the falls. I, I I think if anything, I would like to go back to uh, New York. Um, because I, I, I didn't really take the opportunity to take lots and lots of photographs when I was there. And uh, there's, there's some fascinating buildings there, like the Woolworth Building and things like that, that I'd really like to get some good shots of. Because so. if you do, um, when you come back to this area, I can show you some, uh, some really great places to photograph, both on the U.S. and Canadian side of the falls in the immediate era, uh, in Buffalo, where I'm from. Um, some great yeah. historic buildings here the second largest city in New York State. Um, uh, uh. The Erie Canal, still here. But... I, I, you just want... I love my city, Lauren. You just want <laughs> a montage of um, the Tumblety <laughs> Theatre. That's what you want. You're just thinking about how you can get a montage of that theatre now and then, where Tumblety used to go. Yeah, actually, um, there's a theatre. Uh, you know Mike Hawley, correct? Uh, well, I, I know all of them, yeah. 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 Um, I don't think um, I've ever spoken to him. So. Michael and I do a lot of work together, a lot of research together, but he, um, you know, is so obsessed in down the tumble teat, um rabbit hole that we, you know, I, I, I uh, tried to find the theater where Tumblety met and befriended John Wilkes Booth that was in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And I found the place where the theater was and where the building was. It's not there now. It's a completely different area. But I also but I also found out the way the theater was built, where the dressing rooms were, is actually a friend of mine's apartment now. So a friend of mine lives in an apartment that was probably John Wilkes Booth's dressing room. That's just like what you that's just what you tell her to scare her. That's not possibly not true. You no, just like it, to say it's, it's, scare her. It, it's absolutely true. We, um, when we put the maps and we looked at the po- pictures, we we're like, oh, my God, this is probably where the dressing rooms were. And then I asked her, I'm like, you know, you live in that building. Where's your apartment? And she showed me where her apartment was. I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, you might be living where John Wilkes Booth changed. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Ashley, if you're listening, yes, you live in John Wilkes Booth's dressing room. But back to the abyss. <laughs> Because <laughs> remember, the show is called History Ramblings. We go all over. We do ramble. Yes, we do. Do you have um, any dream projects in the works now? Uh, not at the moment. The only the only projects I'm working on at the moment is the um, graphics for the delegates book for the next East End Conference, which I'm working on at the moment. That's sort of, I had to take a bit of a back seat. Um, 
look, don't forget we're, we're still not entirely certain whether the Eastern Conference is going to go ahead this year or whether it postpones next. So we, we really, really, I, I'm, I'm working on the basis that it is uh, going to go ahead in, in this October. So that's what I'm working on at the moment is getting uh, to and various layouts and things for um, uh, the book that uh, everybody receives to attend the, the conference. So, but as as for okay. larger projects like like, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say they're beautiful. All of the conference packs that you do are fantastically intricate and beautiful, and they are collectors' <laughs> items. They they really are collectors' items. If you're into East End history or just history in general, and you see one of Andrew's packs up for sale on eBay or anywhere. Grab it, grab the chance because they are beautiful. So they say, I don't really do do packs anymore now. I, I, I do I do booklets because they're far easier and, and, and far less time consuming, and they give me time to do these other projects instead. You see, which is much more what I want to do these days. Um, but uh, no, I, I expect there'll be a, 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 a sort of a, a fallow period now where I won't have a clue what I want to do next, and then all of a sudden I'll I'll, I'll come up with an idea or something. But because uh, I got the perfect uh, idea. What's that? <laughs> All right, here we go. You no. Go, you go to Wales. No. No. And you track everywhere Tom Jones went. No. <laughs> You're obsessed. I love Tom Jones. You're obsessed. Next, you're going to ask I, him, is Pluto planet? I was about to. I was about to See, save that to the end, but we'll ask now. You have Pluto, issues. Planet you or have no issues. planet? Troubles and issues, sir. What do you think, Andrew? Pluto, planet or no? Well, before I get to that, I, 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 can I just say that I've got one record by Tom Jones, and that's the one he did with The Art of Noise. Um, so there you go. <laughs> hey, one is better um, than none. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a good voice. I mean, I, I, like, I liked his, uh, his, his, obviously, the theme to Thunderball, which was good. So, excellent, excellent Bond film. The uh, planet... You're such a bully, Brian. I don't know. Is it a planet or no planet? I've, I, I was always brought up uh, to, to believe it was a planet. There were nine of them. Uh, and now, now apparently there's only eight, but then somebody says, it says, well, in actual fact, there's lots of planets, and nobody can give you a straight answer anymore as to how many planets yeah, there are in the solar what? system. So. Those other planets can bugger off because they don't have names yet. Pluto's <laughs> named, it's grandfathered in. There we go. <laughs> If you could oh, see yeah. a of Pluto photographs, that would be amazing, but I think you'd have to, like, contact Hubble for that. Well, I saw the, one, I saw the ones that the probe took a few years back, and they were amazing. They were yeah. really, really lovely. What, do you want to book Pluto then and now? That would be awesome. <laughs> Pluto when it was a planet, Pluto now that it's not a planet and it's the same picture? Yes. <laughs> Further proof. Um... <laughs> I do want to touch on one more aspect of this book, and that is, you know, it's not just a photograph book, too. I mean, you got to explain to people, you are explaining the history, and, and you're showing real, um, not only progress, but, it, you know, sociologists could use this book as a study point as well. And, and like I said, you do still still photography documentary, and just where in your where in your twisted British brain did you decide <laughs> to go in that direction with your work? It was actually inspired by uh, a guy who used to post on the Casebook Jack the Ripper website called Colin Roberts. And he did these um, basically photo montages of, uh, using the old photographs of uh, Ripper's Corner in Martyr Square or wherever. Uh, and he, and he, he superimposed them into the current modern day shots. And I thought, wow, that's fabulous. That's great. I'll have a go at doing some of those. And I, I just got addicted to them. I got quite a lot of photographs of the East End. Fortunately, some of them were taken from the same viewpoints as, um, as the old photographs. 
So it became a bit of a thing for me. But I always thought when I saw Colin Roberts' work on on, on um, Casebook, he I thought, oh, I hope he, do, he compiles all this into a book. It's fantastic. He used to do map overlays and things like that. And and nothing ever came of it. Uh, so I thought, right, well, in that case, then that's that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, but I just really like the idea of seeing both the old and the new at the same time. And and you know, you can you can have fun when you put them, putting them together, sort of making the 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 join between the old and the new almost imperceptible. You know, things like that. So, but that that's where I got the um, the inspiration from to to, to start doing those. Um, and the, the first ones I did were quite basic, but I, I like to think now that the ones I do these days are uh, a little bit more uh, kinetic, if you like. Um, they're, they're, it's, I've, I've done some where, where you've had people from old photographs stepping out into the modern day world and vice versa and things like that. So, uh, you know, I like to blur the edges a little bit uh, between old and new. And, and it's, it is... Some of the best work I've seen in in many 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 years, and I am getting this. Although I'm still seeing you should get uh, the publisher should send out press press copies of this book to America. <laughs> because shipping in the age of COVID is crazy. Yes. So I understand. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, not but good. I, Either way, I'm getting this book because, like I said, it was a pain in the tuchus to get the last one. So, anybody listening out there, if you can find the Jack the Ripper book, yes. grab it, no matter what the price is. Because no matter how much they're well, they, they, for it, it's going to be worth more than that. <laughs> in, actual, in actual fact, uh, my, my publisher, um, Adam Wood, has, has said that uh, he plans to do another print run of uh, Ripperland after we've we've uh, released uh, some of the abyss so there should be another opportunity to uh, to, to get the book so, and when that fingers crossed and when that comes up we'll post the link for that all over our social media so and as far as yeah, I mean, it's goes, a, it'll, it, oh go ahead no, i was just say that, that both Ripperland and, and and pictures of the abyss uh but are both going to be available on the mango books website mangobooks.co.uk Right. And pre-order your copies now because, as I said, they go fast when it gets released and you're going to have to wait for additional printings. And even if they print more than they did last time, you know, Andrew, I know you don't want to say it because you're being humble, but I'll say it and Lauren will say it. They're going to sell like friggin' hotcakes. They are. They're going to go. They're going to rush off the shelves like anything, especially, you know, that people are going to buy copies of it for their loved ones for christmas it's just they're beautiful beautiful books they're, they're fantastic yeah and it's the coffee table books are back and i can't wait for this one um i i can't thank you enough for coming on in any time you want to discuss any part of history or if you're interested in, you know uh any topic you want to discuss or, or you've got a new project coming up, you are welcome on this show anytime. But I hope it's not a... Sorry, I was just going to say, I hope your next project isn't a picture book of the life and times of Tom Jones because that would just... That would just be... That would... You know, nobody wants to see Port Albert on, on a... Well, first off, there would already be one copy bought, pre-ordered. Thank you. Yeah, that would be the only one. You do. <sighs> That's a Tom Jones dissing. And Lauren, you have um, an assignment. Oh, goodness. When the East End Conference does indeed happen, hopefully sooner rather than later, hopefully COVID goes away, it is your job to buy Andrew a drink for me. I will. Uh, I shall I shall look forward to that. Uh, I'll, I'll probably getting drunk. <laughs> it's going to be an American drink, though. We're going to make you drink American drinks. Oh goodness! <laughs> well, that's not necessarily about. No, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you if you're talking some of the American microbreweries, but uh... <laughs> yeah, well, I call that hipster juice. They love it. Yeah, fair. <laughs> but. Thank you again for coming on, and we're going to have to wrap this show up and say goodnight. So 
Where are you? Lo- where are you right now, Andrew? What city? Uh, I'm near Bradford, in, in uh, basically the, the um, if, if everyone wants a, a, a sinister point of reference, I'm, I'm a few miles away from where uh, the Yorkshire Ripper lived before he was caught. Oh, so Yorkshire. Go. So, see, now I got to go off on another tangent here because you're in Yorkshire. <laughs> um, are you a fan of Bill Nelson? Uh, I don't know Bill Nelson. Bill Nelson, the He's... guitar player, was in Bebop Deluxe. Right, no, I've, I've, I've sort of heard of him, but I, I don't know, know his work. So. Uh, he's a Yorkshire guy. He's one of my favorites. He's a hero of mine. So I was going to say, you're there. Uh, We're going to celebrate Bill Nelson and Tom Jones. If they could collaborate, that would be like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> From Andrew in Yorkshire and myself in New York, and with us as always... It's Lauren from Swansea. Good night. Good night. We are crazy. Don't don't listen to him. We are crazy. (laughs) Uh.